Well, good morning. How are you doing? Good. I am good as well. A reminder, Open Table 101 is right after church, so um, join us after. We're having food, and then, like, if you're new to the church, as Andrea said, I'll be there. I'll be teaching, so kind of laying out where we are, our vision, mission, history as a church. And if you have any theological questions or questions about the universe or black holes, we can talk about that, too. Um, I love those conversations. So uh, anything goes after church, if you're there, and um, that'd be great. So we are journeying through this series on Leviticus, which is totally exciting, right? You are all so excited about Leviticus. I know you can hardly contain your excitement. I can see it as you walk in here. Um, and, but we're going to try to figure out like, what, can, what in the world can this ancient book, which is about animal sacrifices and weird purity laws, have to speak to us today in 2020? I believe it has a lot to say. And as we get in, we're going to see those things. And I think today we'll see some of those things. And so the first thing previously on Leviticus, two weeks ago, we were talking about that that Leviticus is this idea of a community living in holiness. Now, if you were like me and you grew up, kind of you heard holiness was about like, what you did or what you didn't do, right? Um, you, you don't smoke and you don't chew and you don't go with girls to do. And um, that's, yeah, let that sink in for a minute. That's what I heard growing up. That was the lingo that I heard um, growing up. But that is not holiness, right? That is not what it means to be holy. To me, to be holy is to understand that God is working in our midst always. Instead of being surprised, like this is the way we work, right, most of the times in our life, that we are surprised when we see God move, right? When you go into a, a, when you see God move in a person or God move in a situation, we're like, oh my goodness, I didn't have any idea that God was moving there. Now, holiness is this this ability, this space that we come into in our life that we can recognize that God is moving everywhere. Instead of being surprised that God is moving, we are, we're expecting it. We're looking for it. We are anticipating that God is in that person, that God will move here, that God is everywhere all of the time, moving in all situations, and we can see God's presence and God's glory all over. That is holiness. That is what it means to be holy. So Leviticus is trying to lead us through this space and this place of life about a community and how to set up rhythms in order to help us see the presence of God. Because we are busy, right? We are so full of life. Like, like I, I, many of you have, have had sort of, let's say, mountaintop experience with, with experiences with God, right? Like you go to that thing or you are at that retreat or you come to church and, and it is like, oh my goodness, I felt the presence of God. And then we come back down off the mountain into life and we have to take the kids to the dentist and, and the, the bills are due and the boss wants us to stay late after work and we get the flu and then the refrigerator breaks and we just bought that thing a year ago and it breaks. And like how, how do we do the life of God in life, right? Not on the mountaintop. But Leviticus is about how we do life with God, how we make room for God in the busyness and the chaos of normal everyday life. So like the relationships with God are like like a marriage in some ways. And, and that's the way Scripture describes it, as a marriage. And so, you know, if you've been in love before, that the, that the first few months of being in love is, 
euphoric, right? Like your brain, literally, like your brain is on drugs, right? When you're, when you're first in love with somebody, your brain goes into this weird state. And, and so you are crazy. You can't stop thinking about them. You are calling them on the phone. You're staying up all night. You're watching the sunrise together. Like everything is wonderful and cuddly. And by like year, um, I was going to say year 10, but realistically, like year two, you know, once you get married, it's like, you are, do not touch me until you take that trash out, right? Like, like that's the married life. Like, we go from this mountaintop experience of, of like, oh my goodness, I love this person, to like, oh, okay, I need some space here today, um, and you need to do the dishes, and I'm going need, to, I need to get out of here, right? And so, like, so a good marriage, like, what, what does it take to a good marriage? A good marriage consists of everyday acts of kindness to one another. Like, that is the rhythm that makes a good marriage. Every day, we are doing acts of kindness for one another. It is like a choreography of kindness to each other. And we are making room for each other in our relationships, in our day, in our life. And, we are, and so that's like, like, that's like this relationship with God. Lots of times, lots of times when we feel, I hear people say, well, I feel like God is so far away. And, and I get it. I felt like that too. But I think oftentimes that, that when we feel like that, it is not God that is far away. It is our lives have become so closed off to God that there's no room for God to get in to our lives. And so what we've done, we've, we've made life, this bubble of our life, busyness, chaos, stress, and we haven't made room. And so it feels like God is far off. But what we've done is we closed ourselves off to where God could work in our life. And so Leviticus is this, this book that helps us get back to the rhythms. And so how, how does that happen? As we talked about two weeks ago, it happens through sacrifices. Now, now hold with me here, okay? Just journey with me to the end of today, and maybe this will make sense. But in the ancient world, God said, we're going we're gonna to establish this system of sacrifices, and it's going to seem completely weird to us. But it was normal to them. But the Hebrew word for sacrifice is, is korban. And literally it means to bring close, to come close to God. So through this work of offering sacrifices, we are coming close to God. This is the rhythm that we are moving in to come close to God, to make space to God. And so what we do here, the reality is that God... The reality is that God made a sacrifice of God's self in order that we can come close to God, right? So God limited God's self. God opened God's self up so that we could come close to God. And so we come close to God by sacrificing something of ourselves, of our desires, of our future, of our pride, of our hope. We sacrifice some of those things and so we come in to this space where we open ourselves where we sacrifice ourselves something in our life in order to be close to God now our text this morning comes through Leviticus 5 and it goes something like this verse 14 the Lord said to Moses when anyone is unfaithful to the Lord by sinning get this unintentionally 
in regard to any of the Lord's holy things. They are to bring the Lord a penalty, a ram from the flock, one without defect, and of proper value in silver, according to the sanctuary shekel. It is a guilt offering. They must make restitution for what they have failed to do in regard to the holy things. Pay an additional penalty of a fifth of its value and give it to the priest. The priest will make an atonement for them and the ram as a guilt offering, and they will be forgiven. Now, what is the key word in that? Unintentionally. Hang on to that, okay? And then later in verse 6, the Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care about something stolen or if they cheat a neighbor or if they find lost property and lie about it or if they swear falsely about any such sin that they may, may, the people may commit, when they thus sin and realize their guilt, they may return what has been stolen or taken or entrusted or lost or whatever they swore falsely about. Hang with me. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, the Lord, their guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect, and a proper value. This is the word of God for us and all the people of God. Okay, so, so I know that was weird and a lot, right? It's like, what is happening there? So, so here's what I want you to see. There are like three sort of categories that Leviticus lays out on about sin. Now, now sin is this thing, right, where we kind of understand, but maybe we don't completely understand. But sin, we've heard, if you've grown up in church, it's like, it's been described as missing the mark, which is an archery term, and, and who, who does archery anymore? I, I, I don't know. And so, like, we don't, we, don't, that's, we don't know that. We don't feel it, right? We just, like, the way that I think uh, of sin is more, and, and this goes back to the Hebraic understanding of it, is that it's, it's leaving the pathway. So we know, like if we're on a path, if you're in a mountain, if you're taking a hike and you, there's your pathway, and if you get off of that pathway, there's danger. You may think it's a shortcut. Sin is like, in some ways, kind of silly, right? But not following the advice of your GPS, of thinking of like, I know a shortcut, right? Have you ever driven with somebody and the GPS is like somebody's navigating, um, be it your wife, and um, she's like, okay, you need to make a right turn up here. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I know a better way. <laughs> we're going to go straight and then up here we're going to shortcut. Don't worry, I know better than Google Maps. Um, I've lived here. And then you get lost, right? And then the person next to you says, you should have listened to the GPS, we would not have been lost. And so like, so like sin is this like thing where we, there's the pathway that we have. God has set out the pathway for us to truth and life and goodness. But we decide that we know better than God does, and we're going to take a shortcut. We're going to go the other way. We're going to go explore over here or over there. And we get off the path, and it causes. So, so here's the key about sin, right? Sin always hurts right? It, it is, it, it's against our neighbor. It hurts ourselves. And so when we do something, we get off the pathway of God and we hurt somebody else in the process, that is sin. And so in the Hebraic understanding, sin was always about what we did against our neighbors. It had some consequence, some effect. We hurt our neighbors. We, we, we unbalanced morality in some way. We caused harm. Now, in the church, lots of times, in, in the kind of American English understanding, we don't talk as much about sin as hurting other people. We talk about sin as this offense against God. 
right? That, that sin is more like this spiritual thing that we do against what God doesn't want. So we've, in some ways, tried to limit or eliminate thinking of sin as the way it affects my neighbor, the person next to me. But we got to get back to understanding that sin is against my neighbors. Now, three, three categories that Leviticus gives here. And the one is that it deliberate, like, like sin that is deliberate. Like you went out and you deliberately hurt somebody. You knew you were going to do it. You, you, you did it and you stole something from them or you hurt somebody intentionally. Now, what is interesting about deliberate sin in Leviticus is sacrifice won't help you in that. No matter how much sacrifice you offer, it doesn't matter. The only solution to deliberate sin is teshuva, which means repentance, which is not just you go into prayer and feel like, well, I'm going to ask God from, I'm sorry, God, I, I hurt my neighbor. Like I said many months ago, right? God can't forgive you that if you hurt your mom, if you were a jerk to your mom, God can't forgive you for that. Only your mom can forgive you for being a jerk to your mom. So you're going to have to go to your mom and sacrifice your pride, sacrifice, and, uh, sacrifice y- y- your distance, and apologize and say, I'm sorry. Now, that's deliberate sin. So you, need, you have to go to the person, and you have to apologize. You have to make right. And that's what Leviticus talks about, make restitution, and so that is, that is just this idea of atonement, right? It is a restitution for doing wrong against somebody else. When we are atoned, that God makes a restitution for us, a reparation for what we did wrong. And so if we sin against our neighbor, then we have to make that as right. If we stole, as Leviticus says, if you stole an ox from your neighbor deliberately, then you got to give you got to give the ox back or find a replacement and then on top of that pay one fifth of its value as a penalty and then also make a sacrifice the sacrifice is so the community can see that you are serious about your repentance so that's delivered the second which we, which was in here today this is fascinating right it is unintentional sin like what how do we sin unintentionally yes we can we didn't know that we were doing something wrong. It is like, it is like if you were, um, I know this has never happened to anybody ever in here because you're all fantastic drivers, right? Um, but if you're, if you're moving along, you're late, and you go through a school zone, and you did not realize that you were in a school zone, but the speed limit dropped from 55 to 7, and you were like, <clears throat> and you, the lights were flashing, but you didn't see it. And then the cop pulls you over, and you were like, why did you pull me over? And you're genuinely like, you're, you don't know why. I was going 55. It's the speed limit's 55. And he's like, no, the speed limit is 7. You went through the school zone. And you were like, but I had no idea. What's the cop going to say? Sorry, you broke the law. I'm sorry. Your intention here doesn't matter. You unintentionally broke the law. You should have known better. You should have known where you were. You should have known. You should have been paying more attention. And so, although you didn't intentionally set out to harm anybody, although you didn't intentionally set out to do it wrong, you broke the law. And so what's the judge going to say? He's going to say, well, you need to pay a penalty. Um, that's, that, that will be $4,476 that you need to pay for going that fast in a school zone, right? Like, that, this is, in some ways, like, um, 
like community service. And so sacrifice, if you've done something unintentionally in Leviticus, you broke the law. Say the law is on a Sabbath you have to rest. But you were like, it's, it's, it's the Sabbath, and you were like, I'm not resting. I'm doing this out here. The, the priest would say, you should have known this is important. You should have known that this is important, and you should have followed the law. So we can sin unintentionally. And so in this unintentional, we need a guilt offering. And so we bring the offering, the sacrifice, to show the community, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I broke this. I, I, I deeply apologize. This is going to cost me something. And it will be a lesson that I have to learn that I should be more aware of school zones right? If you pay a fine for $476, you are going to be more conscious of school zones next time, right? Like, oh, I'm going to watch out for those flashing lights. Like, so, so the consequence for unintentional sin is kind of like community service. You did something wrong. Well, we're not going to lock you up life in prison for doing that wrong thing. No, no, no. But there should be some consequence. You should recognize that what you did was wrong. The community needs to see that you are making efforts to repair the damage that you have done. And you will understand through this cost that it, like, I'm not going to do this anymore. So here's, here's some hours of community service for your time. The, the third sort of idea or category is this idea of a sin that leaves a stain on your character. Like something that you did that, that left this, this hole inside of you, this stain inside of you, that everyone now knows you for this thing that happened, that you did, unintentionally, unintentionally, that it leaves a, a, a stain, or that it reveals a stain, that you did something and your actions revealed a stain, a brokenness that you have inside of yourself. And so... We offer sacrifices in order to begin to set that stain right. Now, I love what, um, there's this rabbi that I love that um, through this book, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, and this is a book on Leviticus, and it is fantastic. And so the ideas that I'm giving you, they're not, none of the ideas are my own. I just borrow them and steal them and give them to you and then get credit for them. And that's the way preachers do it. That's the way things work. (laughs) He says this. A culture that confines morality to the mind is one that lacks an adequate defense against harmful behavior. Our acts leave traces in the world. The very fact that unintentional sins require atonement tells us that we cannot dissociate ourselves from the actions by saying, I didn't mean to do it. Wrong was done, and it was done by us. Therefore, we must perform an act that signals our contrition. We cannot just walk away as if the act had, done, had nothing to do with us. The law of the sin offering reminds us that we can do harm unintentionally, and this has consequences, both physical and psychological. The best way of putting things right is to make a sacrifice, to do something that costs us something. In ancient times, this took the form of a a sacrifice offered. But nowadays, the best way of doing is to give money or charity, to perform an act of kindness to others. The prophets also said long ago in Hosea, for I desire loving kindness, not sacrifice. Charity and kindness are a substitute for sacrifice. And like the sin offering of old, they help mend what is broken in the world and in our souls. The sin offering tells us that we were wrong or that what we did or didn't intend at all still requires atonement. Unfashionable though it is, a morality that speaks about action 
not just intention, about what happens through us, even when we didn't mean it, is more compelling, more true to the human situation than one speaks than when one, one speaks of intention alone. Yes. So often in our culture, we are causing harm unintentionally. We didn't realize that our bias against one another, we didn't realize that the bias that is inside of us against people of color, against those who, who are different sexuality than us, those who are from a different nation, those who are in a different socioeconomic class than us, we didn't realize, we often don't realize that the biases that have been infused and well onto our soul are causing harm against other people and we carry these around and we operate in them and we push them out in our lives and harm is being done and when somebody points it out we often say no 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 no. I'm not racist first thing we say right I'm not that I'm not a bigot I'm not this I'm not that but harm was done and we try to push off responsibility for it, often, don't we? We push it off because we didn't set out with an intention to harm somebody. But we still did. We still did. And so maybe our actions sometimes reveal the stain that is on our souls. And we need to offer a sacrifice in order to help regain and and push off that stain, to clean those stains up that are on ourselves. Sometimes we hurt each other unintentionally, but it's not good enough to say, I didn't mean to. We still caused the harm. We still did the wrong. And so our job then is to say, to be open and humble and to say, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. And to offer a kindness in replace of that hurt that we did. To offer a charity, not like, oh, I hurt you, here's $100. Not in that sort of sense, but that we're going to open up our lives and sacrifice ourselves, a piece of us, our pride to say, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. I did not mean to hurt you, but I did. I see that I did, and I'm deeply, deeply sorry, and I want to make this up to you. So I will turn, and I will seek to change the stain, to clean the stain that is imprinted upon my soul. Now, Sometimes we get to Jesus and we're like, well, all this sacrifice stuff doesn't really mean anything, right? Because like Jesus was the sacrifice that ended all sacrifices, the atonement that covers us all. And like, we're good. So whatever we do, like we sin, we just go to God and we're forgiven and like, and like we're, we're good, right? No, no, that's not how Jesus' sacrifice worked. It, yes, it forgave. It forgives. Jesus is a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to work that, to, to right the wrongs that you did against your neighbors. Yeah, God's like, hey, you're, yeah, yeah, you're, you're forgiven. You're atoned with God. But what about each other? You see, the way that Jesus is offering here, Jesus is offering a sacrifice in order to bring a whole new way of understanding sacrifice. To make a way now, Romans says it like this. Now, this gets me. This got me this week. I was like, oh, man, this takes it to another level. This is not, Jesus doesn't make things easier. doesn't give us an out. Jesus makes things harder, more difficult. 
So we no longer just get to go offer a sacrifice, take, take, take one of our lambs or, or some money and offer a sacrifice and we're good. No, Jesus is opening up a whole new way to do life where we are the sacrifice. Romans says it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Whoa. That's heavy. That's big. So, so we, we, we don't just get to offer a sacrifice from our herds, from our, from our income, from, from our bounty. We, no, 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 no. Jesus wants us to live as if we are the sacrifices. As if we are the ones sacrificing our lives for God and our neighbors. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do we do that? People will say all the time, like, I don't know what God's will is. What is God's will? God's will is for you to live as a living sacrifice, for you to seek the benefit of those around you, for you to do charity and kindness and goodness to all those around you, for you to live in love. That's God's will. And if God has something specific that God wants from you to do something specific in life, God will communicate that to you. But until that happens, live in love. This is what he says later. Love in action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving in the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You are the sacrifice. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's movement. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be the sacrifice. Ooh. That is hard. That, when someone hurts us, when we are the recipient of someone's unintentional or intentional hurt, we are called in that situation too. Whether we are the offended or the offender, God is calling us that our love would be sincere, that we would be the sacrifice. And so maybe we need to sacrifice our desire for revenge. Maybe we need to sacrifice our desire to be right. We, you ever been in those conversations? I'm right. And we go to that, we die on that hill of trying to be right. And our relationships are severed because more than anything, we wanted to be right rather than to be in relationship. God is calling us to be the sacrifice. Today, where is the sin in your life that is taking you off the pathway of love? Where is the sin in your life that is taking you off the pathway of goodness and mercy? How is some stain on your character causing you to repay evil for evil? 
How is something that has, you've been given that is deep down inside of you causing you to think of yourself more highly than others? How? I loved what this book, Rabbi Shephel Gold, and I've used this before, and it's so good. And he talks about this. It says, Leviticus describes a different kinds, different, all sorts of different kinds of sacrifice, each one directed toward correcting a specific imbalance or disease of the soul. This week, our practice of prayer will be gathered by the images of Leviticus as we lay our words on the altar of sacrifice. Each spiritual disease from which we suffer removes us from God's presence. Our practice of prayer is meant to bring us close again. First, what is described as olah. There is a particular spiritual element that manifests as an inflation of the self. I've never experienced this before, so like I, maybe, maybe you have. I don't know. We all have, right? We all inflate ourselves. This is a, a, an element of olah. The mind is consumed with me. Everything seems to depend on me. I am obsessed by my memories, my plans, my importance, my spiritual growth, my sickness, how I might manipulate the world for my benefit. The medicine for this condition must sometimes be drastic, namely the complete nullification of the self. The olah is the burnt offering that is completely consumed by fire. Through the olah, we experience the complete surrender of ourself to God's will. In the prayer, the olah is the total surrender of me into the divine fires. When the self is entirely given in prayer, we may experience a moment of terror as the self dissolves. Maybe some of you are in that place right now today. You feel like God is so far because you are in pain, but what is actually happening is God is burning up something that needs to be cleansed in you. In that moment of dissolution, God welcomes the gift of the return and breathes into the sweet savor of our fragrance. God then breathes our unique essence back into us as we might be recreated. In that moment of divine pleasure, we experience a great and sublime relief. Today, do you have this ailment of the inflation of the self? May we sacrifice that. And may God burn that up and replace it with humility. Shalamim. There is a particular spiritual disease that afflicts us when we are corrupted or insulated by our wealth and good fortune. It manifests as complacency and stinginess, as a lack of passion or sense of wonder. The shalamim is an offering of thanksgiving. It expresses our sense of wholeness and is given in response to the grace we receive. Our giving allows that grace to flow through us. This offering always culminates in a sacred meal shared with the givers, priests, and God. In prayer, the shalamim flows from our acknowledgement of the amazing richness of life. Through this offering, generosity is kindled in the heart. Giving becomes a natural response to receiving. My fullness overflows into the world, and goodness is multiplied as it is shared. I let my prayer express this wondrous overflow. Today, we allowed ourselves to experience the ailment of being corrupted or insulated by our wealth or good fortune that we are not willing to associate with the lowly. We are not willing and we think ourselves superior to the plight of those that are suffering, that we refuse to be truly the generous people that God wants us to be because we want a little bit of the more of what we worked for instead of allowing it to be used by God to be life. Chatat. There is a particular spiritual disease that is caused by carrying the burden of past mistakes. 
It causes us shame, which cuts us off from God's love. We become defensive and seek to blame others. The shatat is an offering that, gives, that lifts from the sorrow of our errors. When awareness reveals that we have acted unconsciously and thus unintentionally done harm to others, our remorse can be transformed into resolve. The shatat celebrates this moment of clarity purifying us from the obscuring efforts of guilt and shame, empowering us to turn towards God, towards reconciliation and wholeness. In prayer, the Chittat is the heart song that sings us free from the shame of our errors and turns our mistakes into clear instructions for repair and holiness. Today, what do we need to sacrifice? Do we need the sacrifice, offer the sacrifice of Alam? that we've inflated ourselves, the shalamim that we've insulated and gated our life off, or that of shatat, that we are so burdened by our past mistakes, we feel guilt, and that guilt turns into shame, and that shame turns into anger, and that anger turns into fear. Today, God desires to set us free, I believe. That is the message of Leviticus, that God desires to set us free. That is the message of Jesus, that God desires to set us free. But in order to do that, we need to offer a sacrifice, part of ourselves. We need to say, I need help. I have done wrong. There is a stain on my soul. Oh God, I offer this to you. Receive this, we pray. And let it be an offering acceptable to you. And through it, may you set me free. Today, let us let go of the burdens of the stains that have caused us such pain and others such pain. Today, let us recognize that our lives are always being reformed and remade. That God desires us to be free from unintentionally harming others. Today, let us remember that holiness is about seeing God in everything everywhere if we see God everywhere in every person then we can move with grace then our love can be sincere then we can truly live as living sacrifices today how will you live as a living sacrifice let's pray together God of heaven and earth, we give you thanks for your goodness and mercy for giving us ways and rhythms to make space for you in our lives. Lord, reveal to our hearts even now, O Lord, how we, how those things in us that have built up over time need to be burnt away and help us, O Lord, to let go of them, to offer a sacrifice of our hearts to you, but also to make restitution for those that we have wronged around us. Give us courage to do that, we pray. Give us courage to truly acknowledge the stains on our soul. Give us courage, O oh Lord, to truly be your living sacrifices. That our love would be sincere. That we would never repay evil for evil. Lord, prepare our hearts for communion, we pray. And let this practice, this moment that we take a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup, reveal your presence. And as we do that, let us be humbled at your sacrifice for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.